Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Let's pray as we dig into God's Word together. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you would come and visit and dwell and show yourself in your people. Thank you, Lord, that you do not leave us alone, but that you would meet us where we are. You would fill us with your spirit. You would call us by your name. You would adopt us into your family. Lord, yet you would give us opportunities to bless others and be a part of other people's lives. Thank you for the gift of your word that reveals Jesus Christ and your, your will and your purposes to us. And Lord, we pray that as we approach your word today, that you, God, would give us eyes to see. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would bring understanding. And Lord, you would help us to know you and see you and see the glory written across every page of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Today we're looking at Luke chapter 11, verses 37 through 54. This is week number 42 in the Gospel of Luke series. And as we turn into, as we begin to start into chapter 12 of Luke, there's really a contrast that is being made between the Pharisees and Jesus Christ. And so we're going to begin to see in these next um, seven or so chapters, really Luke the writer showing us what is the difference between what Jesus is bringing and what the Pharisees are proclaiming, the religious leaders of the time. And this is a clear contrast today. It kind of sets this thing off for us. And if you want to understand the Pharisees and what a lot of this passage is written and directed towards the Pharisees, the Pharisees, like I said, were the religious leaders. And they were very devout, very, very serious about wanting to follow after God. But the problem was is they understood that the way in which you followed after God was through regulations, through rules, through following the law, and doing all these extra things. It wasn't just that God's law was enough. It was that God's law, and then they added a bunch of other rules called the oral tradition to what they already knew God's word to be. And so they begin to elevate, really, man's opinions on the same par and same level as God's word. So begin to understand these things. And so we can often come to a passage like this about the Pharisees, and immediately we were like, okay, we know from 2,000 years of church history the Pharisees are bad, Jesus and his disciples are good. And so we kind of already begin to take sides and begin to size up the opponent, if you will, and understand that the Pharisees just weren't very good guys. But you almost have to understand at the time... They weren't coming, the Pharisees were desiring to really serve the Lord in the best way that they knew possible. Now they had missed it, but they they weren't like people trying to lead people purposely away from God. They were trying to lead people towards God in the best way that they understood it to be. Now they were wrong, like I said, they were mistaken. But we have to understand these guys weren't like guys who were just thinking, okay, we're going to try to lead people away from God. This God is, you know, they wanted to serve the Lord. And so the Pharisees are these guys who were the religious leaders who understood and claimed to know, know God and what he wanted for people. 
And so in this passage, we begin to see not only the Pharisees, but this other group of, of people called lawyers. And lawyers were like part of the group of Pharisees. It's like saying, um, we're from Chicago. And some of us live in the city, but some of us live in the suburbs. We all say we're from Chicago. So these lawyers were also part of the Pharisees. They're kind of the same group. But the lawyers were the ones who interpreted the law and made it plain to people what they tried to do. So here in this passage, we see Jesus in the middle of his, in the middle of his speaking and really talking to people about responding to God. So here he is, Jesus is talking to people about responding to God, about the light, being, the light inside of you being light and not following after the, the teachings of the Pharisees, the darkness that is within them, that they are trying to lead people away, whether they knew it or not. In this context, Jesus, we, we get to verse 37. And while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that Jesus, he did not first wash before dinner. And so this Pharisee opens his home up to Jesus. This wasn't like a small dinner party of maybe Jesus and a Pharisee and his wife or something like that. This was probably a number of people that would have come. As we, as we find out in verse 45, the lawyer's talking about, hey, you're offending us too. There would have been a number of people at this party. It's probably a large gathering of Pharisees, lawyers, Jesus, probably his disciples, maybe some other influential people from the community are there. So it's a bigger gathering of people. And he's providing hospitality for Jesus. And the Pharisee is, is he's watching Jesus because he knows that Jesus is claiming to be the, the agent of God, the, the messenger of God. He's watching Jesus to see if, if Jesus is actually following along with what the rest of the group is doing. The rest of the guys who know Jesus, the rest of the guys who know God, is Jesus following along with their rules and their regulations. And Jesus doesn't. And so Jesus doesn't wash his hands before dinner. Now this wasn't a matter of personal hygiene, like, hey, you didn't really hit the the, the soap and the water in the bathroom before you came to dinner, Jesus. Would you please, you know, kind of go back and do that? It's kind of gross if you're digging in a salad with everyone else. It wasn't the issue. The issue was not personal hygiene, but, this, but ceremonial purity. They had to remove the defilement contracted by their contact with a sinful world. And so they would do as they would, they would go and they would wash their hands, not because they're worried about getting germs, which they probably knew, very, knew nothing about at the time, but it was the way in which they would cleanse off the dirt of this world, the uncleanness of the world to be washed off. Now, if you want to know the extent to which they did this, I want to just give you a, just a better context to, to how important this was, okay? So let me read to you how this was done. The hands are susceptible to uncleanness. And they are rendered clean up to the wrist. Thus, if a man had poured first the water up to his wrist and the second water beyond the wrist, and the water flowed back onto the hand, the hand becomes clean. But if he poured both the water, the first water, and the second beyond the wrist, and the water flowed back to the hand, the hand remains unclean. If he poured the first water over one hand alone and then bethought himself and poured the second water over one hand, his one hand is clean. If he had poured water over one hand and rubbed it on the other, it becomes unclean. But if he rubbed it on his head or on the wall, it remains clean. So you can get what he's, what's going on here. This is very confusing and complicating. 
But it was very serious for them. This wasn't a matter they took lightly. And here Jesus is, just ponies up, sits down, and he's not washing, he's not doing any of those other things that the other religious leaders were doing. And he knew this would spark some curiosity from the Pharisees. Now, when we go to Michelle's aunt and uncle's house for dinner, for Thanksgiving, for Christmas, whatever it is, we're going to have dinner together. There's a large group of people. It's a big gathering, a bunch of Mexican people, and we love each other. And it's like a big family. Everyone's kissing and hugging, and, and it's just a great time together. But when it's time to eat, you don't just dig into food. You need to pray first, right? So we gather together, and we kind of all hold hands. We gather around the food. And then we stop, and everyone looks at me. And I don't know why that. I'm like, why is everyone looking at me? Like, no one else can pray here, okay? I'm not the only guy who can pray in this room. And so everyone stares at me. And it's like, if we were to all this, we were all to gather around, and we're going to hold hands, we're all going to pray. And everyone looks over at me, and I'm double fisting the chicken. I got food all over my face. I'm like, what? What? Well, we're going to pray first? You know, it's like, it would be totally unacceptable. They would not have thought that was okay. They would not be laughing. They would not like, oh, that's just Johnny. He's hungry. Give him a break. And, he, you know, we know he can't wait to eat. And um, No, they would have been very offended at what I would have done. Now, nowhere in the Bible does it say before you pray, you should all gather around, hold hands, look at the one guy who's, who's probably more religious than everyone else and wait for him to pray. It doesn't say that anywhere. But in a similar way, the Pharisees are astonished. That Jesus, who claims to know God and claims to speak the words of God, would dismiss the normal protocol that we all kind of abide by. And so we don't know how the Pharisee kind of showed his astonishment that Jesus didn't do this, but we know that Jesus noticed it and Jesus knew. And so this is what happens next. Let's look at verse 39. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who also made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. Here Jesus is, it sets him off. And we like to think of Jesus as kind of mild manner calm, nice Jesus. Sit down in the living room, by a fire, hang out with Jesus. But in this passage, he looks right at the Pharisees, right at the people who invited him over, right at the religious leaders of the day, and said, fools. You're fools. You've missed it. You think that God is only concerned with the outside with no concern for what's going on in the inside. God is concerned with both. He's concerned with both. No amount of water can make up for a wrong state of inward living. No amount of cleaning the hands can make up for the fact that you don't know God and you don't love God. 
There needs to be an inward work of God in your hearts so that you can truly give from your heart. There needs to be an inward work of God. This isn't just about doing the externals, about doing these other things. And I think sometimes when we read about the Pharisees, like I said earlier, we've got thousands of years of church history. We understand these guys aren't the good guys. Jesus and his disciples are the, are the good guys. There's a clear division. But I think for us as Christians, we've got to understand we do some of this today ourselves. Now, it may not be with the hand washing, but if you think about the things that we kind of ascribe to being like, here's what the Christians do, whether that's not watching rated R movies, whether that's drinking alcohol, whether that's smoking, whether that's, um, if you remember the Harry Potter movies that came out, uh, how many years ago when that Harry, first Harry Potter movie came out, it was like this, man, if you watch, let your kids watch Harry Potter, you know, they're going to get involved in witchcraft and it normalizes magic and all this other stuff. Then shortly after that, Lord of the Rings comes out and all the Christians who are talking about the magic that was in Harry Potter are now going to go see the Lord of the Rings because that magic's different than the magic in Harry Potter and just all this other stuff. We do this. We all do this in various ways. Whether it's praying before the meal, whether that's listening or watching Harry Potter, whether it's drinking alcohol, we all have got certain things that we hold to. And if someone goes against that, it's like, oh, I don't know about them. I don't know if I want my kids going over there. Their kids go to public school. I don't know if... I don't know about that family. We do that as believers. And so I want us to understand something. We can look at these Pharisees and think, you know what? Those guys are bad. We're good. But we have to understand this is, this is a contingency of the human heart. There's, there's, there's something inside of us, a longing, that where we want to just define and cut up the walk with God and say, okay, it's so clear. We're going to do this, this, and this, and then you're a good Christian. As long as you do these five steps... You'll be a very good Christian. You'll, be, you'll, be, you'll really know God. You'll really follow after God. If you do these five things, then obviously you don't know God. We try to just compartmentalize and divide and chop things up so much. But that's exactly what the Pharisees did. And sometimes we can do the same thing. And he goes on, and when he begins to talk about these woes, this, this expression of woe is an expression of regret. This is an expression of regret. He says... It says, you tithe from your herbs. There's this, they, they had these, these gardens the Pharisees would have, and they would tithe 10% of the produce of these gardens. If you can imagine trying to take an herb garden and chop it up and say, okay, we're going to give 10% of this little herb garden to the Lord. And I don't even know how you, div- back then, how you would divide 10% of your herbs up. How many, like, how many leaves go one way, you know, just... It would have been so, like, so tedious. It would have been so just overwhelming to do it. But they did this. And Jesus says, look, you've been so meticulous and careful about the things that you feel God wants you to do, but you've neglected justice and the love of God. You've been so meticulous about tithing herbs, but you've completely missed the God who's given you the herbs. The God of creation who's given you all these things. You've missed him because you've been so worried about tithing herbs. Not only that, but you love recognition. You love people coming before you and giving you, giving you these elaborate greetings in the marketplace. 
You love the praise of men without giving any thought to what God thinks about you. You've, you've prioritized men's approval over and above the approval of God and what God thinks. Then he goes on and he says this, you look good on the outside, but on the inside you're filthy. And not only that, but you defile those you come in contact with. See, the Pharisees were to be the pinnacle of cleanliness. They were, be to, they were the pinnacle of what it meant to follow God, the, the pinnacle of really society and what it meant to follow after God. And what Jesus is saying is like, in reality, you're the epitome of uncleanness. You've completely missed it. You defile those you come in contact with. So on the outward appearance, you appear to be holy and righteous. On the outside, you're the appearance of honor and importance. On the, out, on the outward, you give the appearance of complete purity. You can have the appearance of godliness, though, without really knowing God. See, there's a deception happening. In their minds, they believe what they're doing is right. Hey, look, if I do these things, I'll be okay. They've been deceived into thinking that somehow outward appearance equals inward transformation. And what he's talking about here is there needs to be an inward transformation that Almighty God does in our hearts that does transform the outward. It does affect the outward. God is concerned with the outward. But it's a transformation that happens on the inward, then the outward. And I wonder if we've been deceived into thinking the same thing. As a people, as Christians, have we been deceived? Let me put it to you like this. I remember one day taking my kids to the park. Nice day at the park. It's a beautiful day. Walk to the park. We get there. And there's other families at the park. And so I play with my kids for about five minutes. And then I'm exhausted. And, of course, the kids have more energy than I do. And so I sit down and sit down next to the, all the other parents on the bench. Well, what's, what's all the other parents doing on the bench? They're all playing on their phones, right? So you do. You play on your, you play on your phone. So I take out, you know, I take out my phone, and it, it just dawns on me. So we've taken, we've all decided to take our kids to the park to spend time with our kids, so they can run and play, and we can all go sit on our phones. And I thought we've been deceived into thinking that we're actually parenting our kids because we're in the same vicinity as them. Being in the same vicinity of our kids and our children doesn't mean we're parenting. Doesn't mean we're doing anything with them. Doesn't mean we're engaging with them. In the same way, just because we're in the same vicinity of God doesn't mean we're engaging with God. Doesn't mean we know God. Doesn't mean we're worshiping God. Just because we sat in a church service this morning, just because we sang some songs, just because we're listening to a message, doesn't mean that we know God. Doesn't mean we're engaging with God. Doesn't mean we're tracking with God, we're following after God. Because you go to church, you attend life share, you serve in a work day, doesn't mean you've honored God with your life. I think it's a real challenge for us because we can do the very thing the Pharisees do every single week. And we don't even know it. Because we believe that what we're doing is honoring God because I showed up that we honored God because I kind of sang through the song, that I honored God because I didn't fall asleep during the sermon. I know who you are. I'm just kidding. Um, 
But that doesn't mean we're tracking with the Lord. It comes from an inward transformation of God's Spirit that allows us to do these things. Now, the lawyer speaks up in verse 45. The lawyer answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. So there's a group of lawyers there, and he's like, Jesus, you're throwing us under the bus with the Pharisees. Man, that's not fair. Can imagine Jesus' response. This guy doesn't know what he's in for. Verse 46, he says, He said, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. And so you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed him, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. So this lawyer speaks up and says, hey, this isn't fair. Don't throw us under the bus, too. And Jesus says, look, lawyers, you load people with rules, and you don't give a rip about them. You could care less about the people. You burden them way beyond what they can bear. In the Greek language, this is compared to the cargo of a ship that would be taken off and laid on someone's back. And there's no way possible they could bear this burden. He says, you agree to the killing of the prophets and you will be liable for them. The Pharisees had a religious practice of, of keeping the tombs of the prophets in order and clean as a way of honoring them. And Jesus is saying, look, what you don't realize is that you are actually building the tombs. You are silencing the very prophetic word of God that has come to you. And you have no idea you're doing this. You will be charged with their blood of Abel, who is the first person who was murdered in the scriptures, all the way to Zechariah, who was in the Hebrew Bible. Second um, Chronicles is the last book of the Bible for the Hebrew Bible, and that's that's where um, Zechariah was killed. He's saying like from the very beginning to the very end and everything in between you will be held liable for. He says you claim to know the way of life but you are really the way of death. And he said you are preventing people from knowing God. You are preventing people from, from knowing God. Again, there's a deception that's taken place. They believe, the lawyers believe that they knew God. That they were leading people towards God. That they were... They were the ones who were teaching people about God's will and God's desire for their lives. And Jesus saying, you're doing just the complete opposite. You are shutting the door to knowing God for people. You do not know Him and you are preventing people from knowing Him yourselves. Now if you want to turn with me over to Matthew chapter 11. After the stinging rebuke of these lawyers and Pharisees, want to discontrast what Jesus has to say 
about himself and about his offer and his invitation of what it means to follow after Jesus. And notice how different this is. What a, what a contrast this is. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Here's Jesus speaking. He says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What a contrast. What a contrast that is between the teaching of the Pharisees who load people, who load people down with rules and regulations of beyond what they can possibly bear to Jesus saying, come walk with me. Come walk with me. Be yoked to me. For my, my yoke is easy and it's light and it's not burdensome and you will find rest I think what a picture what a, what a contrast there is between Jesus and the, and the Pharisees the good news for us is this that Jesus Christ in his mercy he meets people right where they're at and he does the same for us he meets us right where we are at. Now, he's, he is sternly rebuking these Pharisees. But I think it's an invitation for relationship. He said, I am warning you. I want you to know the truth. Not because I just feel like unloading on you and being unkind to you, but I want you to turn to me. Even the Pharisees had the opportunity to change and experience the life of Jesus Christ. He wasn't just unloading on him because he didn't like him. He was trying to be mean. He is graciously and kindly and mercifully warning them in the most serious of ways to say, turn towards me. For my burden is light and my yoke is easy. You can rest from striving to try to please God. You can rest from the weariness of trying to work in our own strengths. You can rest from our failures, from what the way in which we live up to what we think God wants from us. How can Jesus make this kind of promise? How can Jesus make these kinds of statements and claims when the Pharisees could never do that? It's because Jesus is the all-sufficient Savior. It's because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's because Jesus alone calls us out of darkness and into His light. It's because Jesus has made a way for us to know Him and has pursued us and He's revealed Himself to us and He's given us His Word and He's spoken prophetically to us that we can know God. And we have one hope just like the Pharisees. The one hope isn't in the way in which we live for us to know God. It's not in our obedience. It's not in our religion. It's not in the amount of church services we attend, how much money we put in the plate, any of those things. That's not where our hope is found. Our hope is found in Christ alone. Our hope is found in Jesus alone. It's in coming to Him right where we are, right as we are, 
with all the mess, with all our disobedience, with all our striving, with all our weariness, and saying, Jesus, would you just meet me where I'm at? And he does. That is his invitation to us. That is Jesus' invitation to us. Come to him, all who are weary and heavy laden, and he will give us rest. I want to give you that same invitation today. Would you come to Jesus today? In case we think that we are okay without him, I want us to hear not only the stern rebuke, but also the loving invitation of a Savior who desires to reach those who are far away. That is our invitation today. If you have placed your church attendance or your giving or your serving, whether that's lack of or abundance of, as your measure in which you think, well, this is how I'll be pleasing to God. I'll go to church this amount of times. I made it three out of four, whatever it may be. If we, if we have an invitation today to lay that aside and say that is not where I find my life. It's found in faith in Jesus Christ and trusting in Him. It comes from relying upon Jesus Christ to give us His life, to serve in His strength. It comes from an inward transformation of His Spirit that He promises to us, to all who call upon Him, that He would give us rest, not more work, not greater burdens, not, not a longer list of rules, but relationship. Relationship with Him, real relationship with Him. As we come to him, we can receive the forgiveness of God in the confidence that not only do we have forgiveness, but we have his righteousness given to us. That as we come before Almighty God, we don't stand on our own obedience, we stand on Christ's. We don't stand with our own amount of church attendance. We stand united with Jesus Christ and found in him. I'm going to pray. I want to close this out, but I want to, today to make this offering. Last week, not this offering, this invitation. Last week as we closed, we felt just a real call of God for us to respond. That there would be a response that would come from us. Particularly, Brian brought up just the response of forgiveness. That there has been, that there, within some of us, there is an unforgiveness that we've, there is forgiveness that we've been withholding from people that we need to forgive. And the, the call for us was this, that we need to respond and in the power of God, in the grace of God, that we would be able to forgive. I want us to still, I don't want us to just blow past that. That's still available for us today. That we would respond with that. I also want us just to respond today, maybe if you're hearing this message and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation. Today is the day where you can know Jesus you can trust his, in his perfect righteousness instead of your own. But also a response for, the, for maybe the Pharisees in, in here, like me, who have trusted in their own righteousness, thinking that that is how I will be pleasing to God. How I will be acceptable to God is through what I do to put our trust again in Jesus Christ for his life in us, for his forgiveness. So we're going to take communion. Then after that, we're going to close. And there'll be people up here to pray. If you're sick, 
if you just need someone to stand with you in prayer, there'll be people up here to pray with you and stand with you. Lord Jesus, as we close this morning out, as we celebrate communion, Lord, I ask that you would continue to speak to our hearts. Lord, that the life that we would express in the fellowship of believers wouldn't be from a longer list of rules, but would come from an inward transformation of your Holy Spirit inside of us. Jesus, thank you for the invitation. Thank you for the invitation to come to you. Not the invitation for bigger burdens, more loads, but for rest, peace, and communion with you. So we give thanks for that. Thank you, Jesus. God, help us. Give us the grace to respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.